Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church again. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. We're glad to have you with us today as we start our new series called Back to School. Back to School. Man, I've been excited about this series because this is kind of back to school season. Whether you're a parent and you're getting kids back in school or maybe you're not and you you just kind of remember those feelings a little bit. I'll never forget the year 2001. It was my first year of high school, and uh, I was a freshman. And how many of you know when you start off in high school, it's an important day, because the rest of your life, it feels like at least, is hinging off of how well you manage the next couple of hours at school. you got to get it right. you got to impress people. you got to show up. And so uh, I-, I was starting off at a new school, Fort Dorchester High School. I'd never had a locker before. I was, uh, there was a lot that I was having to figure out and learn all at the same time. And, and so I just wanted to get it right. And I remember I was going in between classes, uh, between first period and second period, and I was kind of beeline. This was kind of my way in high school. I had like this giant backpack because I didn't want to go to my locker because that would slow me down. You know, I wanted to get in class early, so I would just kind of put my head down with my big backpack and just turtle my way through the hall, you know, and, and that was my way. Well, I had to go to the bathroom, and so I was kind of beelining it to my class, and I caught a glimpse out of my peripheral, said, men's right here, and so I turned that corner and went into the restroom, and as I was in there, I noticed, or I thought to myself, you know, I remember passing a single urinal on the way into this bathroom. All of a sudden, I, I stopped, and I was quiet, and I listened And all I could hear was giggling and chatter. And I knew that I had just walked into the women's restroom on my very first day of high school. There could be no greater fear in a young man's life than what I was presently encountering. And so I had two choices, two options. I could either exit that stall to the greatest shame of my life, be laughed all the way out of that bathroom and all the way to my diploma four years later, Or I could be a man and I could lock that door and stand on top of that toilet and crouch down and wait for the bell to ring. So that's exactly what I did. I stood on top of that toilet with my giant backpack and just like sweating bullets in pure fear. If you want to know what pure fear is, try being a 14-year-old boy in the girls' restroom, okay? I was horrified. I waited for the bell to ring, and these two girls just stood at the mirror giggling with zero regard for tardiness. I had to wait for like another five minutes. I'd been in there like 15 minutes waiting. Finally, they left, and I opened the door, and the maintenance lady was standing there by the trash can looking at me like, mm, mm, mm. It was terrible. But, but I want to talk about going back to school this morning, not for the embarrassment of it, but for the way when we were kids. I don't know if you remember, but when we were still, our students are in this right now. When you get back into school, it's like you've got to shift gears because you've just had the summer. And unless you were in summer school, which some of you may have been most of your time, unless you were in summer school, the summer represents this gap for us. Where, at least in my school age years, uh, I was pretty much focused on Nintendo 64, GoldenEye, and Mario Kart, and going to the pool and the beach. I wasn't focused on school at all. I wasn't thinking about it. And so something would happen between May and September, where I would, or June and September, where I would get this, this kind of this, this distance between me and my school days. And as I would get further away, the less it would be on my mind until, boom. All of a sudden, I was back in school having to remember how to do it all over again. 
what I want to talk about for the next couple weeks is I think what happens for many of us when we become Christians is that we have this summer experience. We have this season that grows in between our moment of conversion or a, or a season when you're, when you're really pushing yourself to get closer to Jesus, to find freedom, to discover your purpose. And then this kind of summer season happens where life comes up and, and life gets in the way and your focus shifts and, and other things become more important and, and it kind of you get more and more distance between you and your pursuit of Jesus, of Christianity, of all that it stands for and it means. And so I want to help to kind of jolt us back into place a little bit for the next couple weeks. Take us back to school and examine some of the basics of our faith. And really my goal is just to try to, to remind us of some of those feelings that we felt when we first entered into a relationship with him. Now, if you're in here this morning, so here's, here's what you need to know about me. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna usually teach from experience and from the perspective that I have. And so I've had a year where I need to go back to school. Can I, can, have you ever had a year where it's just one thing after the next, one distraction after the next, one battle after the next? And I need, I need this series right now. But if you're in here this morning and you're nothing like me, and maybe, maybe you don't follow Jesus yet, or you've got questions about it, or, or you're here because somebody drug you here, or you're here because you've got, you, you've got a longing and a desire to, to know more about all of this, but you're still not so sure where you land, then I think this is the perfect time for you to be joining our church, for you to be sitting in and listening, because for the next few weeks, as we kind of talk through the basics of our faith, you, you get, you get to, to hear with fresh ears what it was that made us so, me so excited about this in the first place. And so today what I want to talk about, uh, really to kick this whole thing off, is why we need Jesus. And I want to share with you really why I need Jesus and, and what it was that drew me to him in the first place. I want to kind of start in the beginning. And the first thing that you need to know about why we need Jesus, and the first thing that I would, I would say you need to know in this series is that sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. Now, maybe you grew up like I did. I, I grew up in Somerville, South Carolina, in a, in a small church that was the, the perfect example of Somerville, South Carolina churches, a traditional church. And, and, but beyond the church, I grew up in Christian culture from my, I mean, from my toes to my eyeballs. I was in it all the time. And there were so many things I loved about growing up in that church. I mean, I loved all the potluck dinners, more mac and cheese than you could ever dream of. I'm made up of mac and cheese at this point in my life. It's why I grew to be so tall, the steady diet of mac and cheese I had for most of my childhood. I loved the potlucks. I loved the felt board stories when I was a kid. And don't even act like you're too cool for it. If you grew up with felt board stories, you loved them when you were a kid. If you don't know what that is, trust me, you didn't miss much, okay? And so I loved all that stuff. I loved, so I loved being with my friends on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Monday mornings and Monday nights and Wednesday nights and, and then sometimes Friday nights and then Saturday afternoons and then Sunday mornings again. I loved all that time with my friends at church. It was great. There was so much that I loved about that childhood. But there was one thing that I think a lot of us who grew up in church, or even if you didn't and you're aware of church, one thing that kind of kept me from 
from really being able to enjoy all that it was. And that was the distinct understanding that Christian culture of the Bible Belt gives you of the way sin separates us from God. I mean, I was aware of it. I was made aware of it by, by so many different people, by, by the way people made me feel, by the, the abs- just the culture that I lived in. It, 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 was, it was often something that was taught with redemption and salvation on the other side. But you need to know that, or maybe you do know that words don't mean a lot when compared to culture. Culture overcomes words. And actually, you can't speak culture. You can only be culture. And the culture of the, of the small town that I grew up in, in the Bible Belt, told me that, yes, Jesus is important, but, but what I really want you to feel is the way that your sin separates you from God. Sin was talked about more than redemption. Sin was, was something that I felt crushed by, that I felt like I couldn't move past, that I felt I, I couldn't overcome. I love um, the, the story of the Bible and the way that it, it paints this picture of the way that Jesus wants to intersect our lives. And it even starts, I think, in Genesis chapter 3 by making this point a little bit more clear to us. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from fruit from the tree. You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. But you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. I think the Bible wants us to know that since the very beginning of time, we've been downplaying the consequences and the seriousness of our sin. It's easy for us on the other side of, if you had a childhood like mine, which kind of made you reject the idea of sin altogether in order to overcome the guilt that it pushed on you. Or if you grew up completely apart from the church. I was having a conversation not too long ago with a guy who was telling me about the way that, you know, I don't know if I need all of the, the church and Christianity and all the stuff you guys offer because honestly, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I mean, I've made bad choices and I've made good choices, but I've always felt like the scale was pretty much even. And, and if it ever tips in the favor of me making bad choices, then for sure, I'll come to the church and see if you guys can't, can't even it back out again. I think what happens is it's easy for us to downplay the seriousness of our sin. Whether it's because somebody's made it overly serious or it's because you, you never had a value on it in the first place. But the Bible paints this clear picture of the way that when we sin, it drives this wedge between us and God. He can't be in the praise perfect and holy and he can't be in the, in the presence of it. And it, it, it creates this separation. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us at some point, falls short of who he is. So there's some solidarity in it. We're not in this alone. Every single one of us makes these mistakes. And then we do things, we have sins, we have hang-ups, habits that deviate us from God's dream for our lives. And we were created to exist in relationship with God, but our sin separates us from him. 
I think that this understanding being basically the chief understanding I had of the Bible was one of the things that started this feeling of guilt that I lived with for most of my life. I mean, I was, I was pretty sure I understood that sin separated me from God as I grew up, that, that I got that and, and that I couldn't stop sinning. I got that too. And so I had this guilt that started to grow, this, this shame that I carried with me that I wasn't really sure how to shake. And, and the culture that I lived in, I'm pretty sure that the church didn't teach this, but the culture that I lived in kind of put this pressure on me to get it right to make it right, to, to do everything that I could to check off all the boxes, to make sure that I was doing all the good works that I needed to do to, to, to impress the deacon board or, or whatever it was, that, that I, I had this responsibility on me to be this perfect Christian kid so that I could make sure that I was operating as a Christian should operate. But as I I grew up in this world and as I felt that pressure more and more, I began to realize that there was no way I could ever make it right on my own. And that's another thing that I want us to understand this morning. We can't make it right on our own. There's there's no amount of good works that we can do. There's no amount of good deeds we can accomplish. There's no amount of things that, that we can, boxes that we can check. It doesn't matter how much good we do or how much balance we think we have. It's, it's never enough. We can always feel this separation. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, the earnings of sin is death. And I feel like before I ever became a Christian, I had an understanding of that because I could feel that death coming. I feel the more that I lived the way that I wanted to live, whether I was trying my best to do things right or whether I had given up altogether, there was just this separation that was growing, this darkness inside of me that, that increased every day. And it was, it was like the earnings of sin just compiling a little bit more all the time until it really just started to feel like I couldn't help but make the wrong choices. Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. He says, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? That's in the Bible. And that's how so many of us feel. I grew up in this world where there was this pressure to be perfect and, and to get it right and to, and to make sure you wore the right kind of shirt and pants on Sunday so that somebody wouldn't embarrass you. And there was all of it. There was, the, there was the pressure. There was the guilt. There was the shame. And I just kept thinking, no matter how much I want to get it right, I can't. I can't check the boxes. I can't, I can't do what they're expecting me to do. I can't, I can't be this person that they're asking me to be. And I don't think that I ever will. I tried. I tried so hard. I went to youth group all the time. I mean, I, I checked as many boxes as I could. I went to all the camps in the world. And I still just felt distance. Distance was the only way that I could describe the way that I saw God. was that he's too far away. And I can't seem to do anything to get closer. I tried to, to do the right thing when I graduated high school. I, I didn't get into Clemson because I wasn't smart enough. That was plan A. Plan B was to go to 
Charleston Southern University, a small uh, Christian college in, in my hometown, and study youth ministry, because that was the right path for good Christian boys, to go be a youth pastor for a while, and if you did a good enough job, maybe one day you could be a real pastor. And just, just kidding. Mikey Holmes is our student director, and he's awesome, and that's the wrong attitude, but that's what I thought. <laughs> that was how I felt, and, uh, and I went for one, one semester, and I hated everything about it. I hated the lies that I was telling people about who I was. I hated I hated learning more about this, this God that I felt like I would never be able to get close to, that I couldn't, I couldn't make the right decisions. I grew a, re, re, a reputation for my irresponsibility because I just wanted to party and have a good time instead of trying to be a great youth pastor. And then I made a decision at the end of that time that it wasn't worth it anymore, that I was never going to be good enough. I was never going to get right with God. I was never going to check all the boxes. I was never going to be, I was never going to fit in. I was never going to be a part of this, this world that, that, that Christian culture of the Southeast expected me to be a part of, and I wasn't okay with faking it. And so I just left it. I joined the United States Coast Guard as a, as a, as it, with, with one desire. It wasn't out of bravery or patriotism. It wasn't because I always dreamed that I'd be in a uniform one day like Captain America. That had nothing to do with it. It was because I thought, here's my fastest ticket away from this Christian bubble. So I joined and I just gave myself to it. From the time that I was a kid, I had this, this desire to be a part of something. I felt this need for purpose, for, for meaning, to matter, to be more. I think all of us are born with that. I think we pursue so many things in a, in a, in a search of trying to discover why we're here that we give ourselves over to our jobs, we give ourselves over to pursuing position and, and, and we put our identities there, or we give ourselves over to relationships with people and, and we just put ourselves there and we put all the pressure in the world on this relationship because this relationship defines me, but then the relationship cracks under the pressure and then we don't know where to look next and so we put our, all of our, our, our we put all of our, our eggs in one basket on money. We put all of our desire there. We say, well, I'll, I'll build a fortune and I'll have money and I'll live comfortably and that'll give me the meaning and the peace that I want. Or, or we'll pursue everything that we can to try and fill this gap that we feel in our life that is coming from the distance that our sin is putting between us and God that we know we can't close on our own. And we do this because we were made to be in relationship with him. You were made to be in relationship with him. In fact, the, the perfect picture of the Bible before sin enters the story is Adam and Eve and God in relationship in the garden. And all of the Bible after that is about God trying to restore that relationship. In chapter 12 of Genesis, he starts a journey that would get us to the only place we could ever be in relationship again with him. It's the whole picture of it. John 3.16, the most overquoted verse in the world, you know, but, but the power in those words, words that God so loved the world that he would give his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God would not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. I remember just wondering why. Why? 
why do I feel this gap inside of my heart? Why do I feel this distance? Why do I feel this longing? Why do I have this need to be seen and valued and wanted that I can't fill through my family, that I can't fill through these, my shipmates? I can't fill through anybody else. It doesn't matter how many accolades I get. It doesn't matter what I do, how many things I think I get right, how much I tip the scales. I just feel like it's not enough. And I remember getting so mad about it that I just gave up. I remember giving up. Remember just the feeling that this distance will never close, and so let me do whatever I can right now to numb it. I gave myself over to everything. I, I, I became the chief partier on my boat. I was the leader, the ringleader of every port call. Just follow red wine, and he will lead us to victory, you know, of, of debauchery. That was who I became. I became very depressed because I had all this guilt and shame that was compacting in my heart and it just kept growing and building. I think, I think the older I got and the, the greater the distance got between me and God, the, the more this guilt and this shame grew and I just felt depressed. I couldn't find meaning. I couldn't find purpose. We were doing good things in that mission. We were saving lives. Didn't matter. I still felt empty. And so I remember just trying to drown, just trying to spend as few sober moments as possible so that I wouldn't have to think about it. I became a bully. I started to turn this, this anger inside of me towards others. Hazing was my big, they call, bullying, we called it hazing in the military because it made us feel better about ourselves. I just, I just, needed, I just needed an outlet. And I remember realizing one day that I was searching for something that I didn't think I was ever gonna find. And so I fed my depression more and more and I really began to give myself over to it and to believe all these lies. And over time, I distanced myself from more and more people, isolated myself, began to believe I would never have purpose, I would never have meaning, I would never have value, I would never be able to tip the scales. And so I made the decision at 21 years old to take my life. I, I did everything that I thought was right to do it. I, I didn't leave a note because I didn't think anybody would care. And I pulled the trigger and the gun didn't go off. Bullet had a problem and only had one. So I cried myself to sleep that night. Two weeks later, I was getting underway for a deployment, 90-day deployment, a longer one because we had some training on the front end. And I remember as I was leaving that day, I got a phone call that changed my life forever. See, I had this one Christian friend, this girl that I was secretly obsessed with since I met her freshman year at Charleston Southern University. All that I wanted was to be in a relationship with her, but I knew that that was like a 0% probability. And so I just tried to spend time with her, hang out with her as much as I could, and I just enjoyed our friendship. Well, she called me as we were getting underway to say, John Mark, I need you to know that it's too hard for me to spend time with you anymore. That I've tried to offer you hope and I've tried to be a good friend to you, but your anger and your bitterness and whatever it is that you're searching for is hurting me as well. And so I can't, next time you come in, don't call me. I need, I need you to know that I think you're searching for something and the only answer the only thing that's gonna fill whatever gaps you're trying to close is Jesus. He's the one. He's who you've been looking for. And until you get that figured out, I need space. 
And so I said, girl, I'll find all the Jesuses in the world for you, anything, you know, if it means, you know, we've got a shot. <laughs> this is literally, I think, what I thought. And so I, I, because of that, I went down after we got underway and got this old Bible that I had been given in boot camp, and I opened it up, and I began to study the scriptures, and I began to read this, this book, and I realized that I had never read it. I'd had it read to me, and all my life, I'd grown up with these stories and, and these illustrations and, and all of these songs and everything that was about who God was, but I had never understood that this whole Bible, especially when you read it quickly, is this picture of a God-pursuing relationship. It's second chance after second chance. In fact, the Bible paints a really clear picture of the distance that I couldn't put words to. The distance that stands between us and God. And the story just over and over and over again is about God closing that distance, making a way for that distance to close. And I, I remember just, it was like scales were falling off of my eyes the more I studied his word. I realized that this was, this was what I had spent all of my life searching for. That all of these, these feelings of emptiness in my heart, the feeling, the desire to belong to something, to have purpose, to have meaning, to be seen, to be forgiven, to have this guilt removed, to have this shame removed, that all the answers were just right here in just honestly very plain language. Jesus was the answer. You see, in, in, in the Old Testament, it's just this buildup to Jesus. Man breaks the relationship and God just keeps showing up. And in Genesis 12, he starts the story that would lead us to Jesus. And then you get to this gospel message. After all these prophecies you've just read about Jesus, and you get to this gospel message, and you see Jesus, and it changes things. I need you to know about Jesus this morning. Just a couple things, and then we'll be done. But Jesus lived this perfect life. He lived a perfect life. He, he was filled with love and compassion. He spent his ministry on earth just making people understand how to love each other better, doing everything that he could, teaching as much. He said all the law and the prophets could be boiled down to these two things, love God and love people. If you could just do those two things, you'll get it right. And he lived it. He looked at people and touched people and spoke to people that no one else would go near. There was a man named Bartimaeus and he was blind, and he'd been blind all his life, and he was a beggar, and people didn't go near him. They ignored him. They didn't see him. They didn't touch him. Bartimaeus tries to get to Jesus, and his disciples are saying, get away from Jesus. He don't want to talk to you, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I came for him. Bring him to me, and he looks at Bartimaeus, and he says, what do you want for me to do for you, and nobody had ever asked Bartimaeus that before. Asked him what he wanted, and he just said, I want to see Dummy, obviously I want to see. Jesus said, then I give you your sight, but I also forgive you of your sins. That's Jesus. There was a story where this woman's dragged out of a tent naked, caught in the act of adultery, and they throw her in the dirt, and all these men gather around to throw stones at her to kill her. And Jesus shows up. He gets down on, looks her in the eye, helps pick her up, and just says, Whichever one of you here is without sin may throw the first stone. And then they all leave one by one, one by one. And he says, who here accuses you? She says, no one. And he says, then neither do I. 
go now and leave your life of sin. That's Jesus. He's kindness. He's compassion. He's love. The, the Bible says in Romans, I think it's 2-4, that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. The kindness of the Lord leads us to turn our lives around for him, and he's kind. And I don't know that I understood his kindness growing up. I couldn't see it. If you've grown up in that world, just the Bible Belt, and you've been around broken people who didn't show you the kindness of Jesus, I'm so sorry. I've probably been one of them at some point. So sorry. But his kindness leads us to him. And it says in the Bible that Jesus never sinned, that he had all this opportunity. In fact, there was one time he went in the desert and he hadn't eaten for 40 days, which if I don't eat for 40 minutes, I'm grumpy and will pretty much fall into any temptation. But Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days and the devil comes up to him and he tries to tempt him in the three ways that we all give in. He tempts him with the flesh, do what your body wants you to do. He tempts him with power, use all the power that you've got to your benefit and he tempts him with wealth. I'll give you all the world's riches and more if you just bow before me and Jesus does and give in to any of it. He's, he's perfect. He never sins. He lives this perfect life. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And there it is. He took the punishment for us. He who had no sin became a sin offering for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5 eight says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, for me, I had just, I just really believed that it was up to me. I mean, I had heard all of this, oh, just say the sinner's prayer, give your, give your life to Jesus and it'll be over for you. You know, you can, you can follow him. But that wasn't what the culture led me to believe. The culture made me feel like I had to get it right. I had to get it together. I had to get my stuff together in order to follow Jesus but the Bible says something different. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while I was in my worst moments, while I was going through the, the worst season of my life, that it's, it's right there, that it's in that place that he says, I offer myself for you. Without asking, it's just nothing in return. He closed that distance. That distance that I had felt in my heart my entire life that had made me feel such longing and such desire to be a part of something better, something more, to matter, to mean something, to, to, just, to just not feel so empty all the time, that distance, Jesus closed it. In the Old Testament, there's this, uh, this idea of atonement. Atonement was, was this system that God set up that's, that's kind of crazy. God said, I want to be in relationship with you so much that I'll allow you to to transfer your sin, to your death penalty onto a perfect lamb. And you, you can, that lamb can take your penalty for you, but it's only temporary. It's gotta happen over and over and over again. And it was never a good system and it was never meant to be permanent. And, and so God said, let's make this official. So he sends Jesus and he lives this perfect life, never since. And then he goes to the cross to take my place, to take my penalty, to take my, that little bit of death that was growing in me every time I made the wrong choice. He made that life on the cross. And, it, and it's a hard thing to understand, especially in the beginning. Why would he do that? How does that make any sense? Who, how is that true? How does that work? 
But all you need to know is that you, you had a big debt to pay and somebody paid it for you and it's gone. And I'll never forget the moment I understood that for the first time. I was reading the Bible in, in, in a dark room that was like both humid and damp and cold at the same time in the Coast Guard Cutter Venturous. And I had just, just started the Gospels. And in one day, I mean I, just, I mean, I just tore through Matthew and then Mark and then Luke and then John. And I couldn't, I couldn't understand what I was reading. It didn't, I couldn't, it didn't make sense that this could be it, that it could be this simple, that he would do this for me, that all this would happen for me. And so it seemed pretty clear to me that I could close this distance in my heart now if I would just say yes to accepting this gift that he had offered me. And so I got on my knees in this dark place, and I had this Bible from boot camp with the tiniest letters in the world, so my eyes hurt because I'd been trying to read it in a dimly lit room. And I just, I'll never forget it. I remember, I can smell the smells still. And I said, God, I give my life to you. I believe that you did all of this for me. I believe that you're what I've been searching for, that you're the one who can close the distance in my heart, that you're the one who can put these pieces back together again. And so I give, I give everything that I am to you. I, I've already forfeited my life. So every second from this one forward is just yours. Please use me. Use me however you can. And my life was never, ever the same. It's hard to explain that kind of change. It's hard to explain that kind of, that kind of feeling. You see, he's alive, and his spirit lives in us. So the story doesn't stop with the crucifixion. Three days later, Jesus does what only he can do, and his buried body begins to breathe, and he comes up out of the grave, and he goes around showing everybody that he's alive, that he's beaten death, that God's desire isn't just to have relationship with you here in this life, but his desire is to have relationship with you for eternity, because God is eternal, and he desires relationship that is eternal. And so Jesus makes the way by, by defeating death and defeating the grave, and a few days later, the disciples are all just kind of not sure what to do next, and they're hanging out in this room, and they're, they're, they had just get, they threw dice to make a big decision. Like, that's where they're at in life. And then the Holy Spirit comes from heaven on tongues of fire in this big show-stopping moment and fills them up with God's presence that for that day forward, they would never have to be alone again. They would never have to feel far from him again. They would never have to experience distance again. That from that day forward, they would be anointed and filled with his spirit and able to do what he created them to do. And I need you to know this morning that that's what happened to me. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never forget these moments. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3, let's give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. He gave us new life by raising Jesus Christ 
from death, which fills us with a living hope. New life was what I experienced in the following days. I, I remember I, I was so excited as a new believer. I gave my life to Jesus. It was around 10 o'clock at night on the ship, and most people had gone to bed, but at 11.30, there was gonna be people getting up to go do the, the night watch, and they had something called midnight rations, mid-rats, we called them, and it was gross fried food that everybody who was going on the night watch would go and eat, and I just, I knew that people would be there for that, so I went and sat in the cafeteria like this, waiting for an hour and a half for 90 minutes. And then some people came in, it was five guys came in. And I gotta, I gotta tell you that I had been horrible up until this day. That I, I made it really difficult for new people to come on the ship with the hazing stuff that I was, I mean, I was court-martialed for it later. That's a different story for a different day. But I had not been a good person. I had led them, and port calls were coming, and they were excited about the, the tours I was gonna just embark upon. We were gonna rage this town. And I sat there on that boat, a different man, and I waited for him to come in so I could tell him, hey, hey, I gotta tell you what just happened. I just gave my life to Jesus, and, and I'm not gonna be the same anymore. I wanna live for him now. I'm not gonna be, actually, I wanna be nice, I, and I'm sorry I made the, your life so hard when you came on the boat, but I'm here whatever you need now, and I'm gonna look out for the little guy now because I wanna be like Jesus now. He was so kind, and he loved people so, and people were freaked out, and they were afraid, and they, didn't, they thought I'd been doing drugs, and they were like, bro, we're here to stop drugs. You can't be doing drugs. Like, this is bad. And then, and then I, I'm at 11.30 at night, these poor guys had just woken up from a nap, and I'm pouring out Jesus all over them because I was so excited. Something had woken up inside of me. I, I spent the, next, the rest of that patrol, the next month, there were 84 men on that boat, and I sat down face-to-face -face with every single one of them and told them that I was sorry for who I had been and that I would never be that person again. And if they wanted the hope that I now have, I would be happy to point them in that direction. I'm just telling you, I was excited and I was changed. In Psalm 51, 12, the psalmist says to David, uh, David's the psalmist and he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold a willing spirit within me. And maybe you're like me and it's just been a tough year. And I, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I'll tell you, my year's been hard. There's, it's, it's been like there's one thing after another thing after another thing after another thing. One battle after another battle after another battle after another battle. And every time it feels like I'm getting headway, it's like something else goes wrong. And every time I think I'm getting close to victory, it, it's like the battle just keeps going on. It's been hard. And I, and I know that for me, and I'm a pastor, it's literally my, I get to go to work and pray all day. And for me, that it's just easy for me to forget what it was like to be that 21-year-old crazy maniac sitting on that boat trying to tell everybody that I was never gonna be the same again. It's easy for me to go about my life and just day in, day out, see my family, see my coworkers, go to the store. And it's just a part of my life. It's not the whole thing. And... I think about David in that season when he wrote those words. He, he was in a season where he had, he, had, he had had a summer season. It had been a long time since he was anointed and called and entered into relationship with God in a new way. He's 14, and at this season, these decades have gone by. And because of the distance and because of life and all the battles that he had fought and the wars that he'd been in, he just forgot. 
And he made some bad decisions. He operated again out of a distance instead of out of closeness. And I, I love, that's my favorite Psalm, Psalm 51. Because in Psalm 51, David is just saying, God, I just, I'm so sorry. Please restore to me the joy of your salvation. My prayer for you this next few weeks is that God would restore the joy of your salvation. And secretly and selfishly, my prayer is that he would restore the joy of my salvation. That I would be that lunatic, just sitting as many people down face to face as I could to help them understand that my life would never be the same and I wanted that for them too. And I hope that, that, that that's happening in your heart. That as I'm telling my story tonight, you're reminded of yours. If you have a story, maybe you can remember that at some point there was this great separation that you felt, this distance that you couldn't feel, figure out how to close. And you tried to fill it with every single different thing that is under the sun. Relationships, money, power, people, jobs, all of it. And none of it worked. And then you met Jesus. And his kindness led you to repentance. And you understood that he took your place and that it wasn't your job to close this gap anymore. Now he's done it for you and the work is finished and the battle is over and the victory is won and you get to enter into paradise with him all because of the work that he's done, not because of any effort on your part. You get to be relieved of that guilt and relieved of that shame and relieved of that need to always be perfect and the need to always be right. You get to now just say, I'm his, I'm called, I'm anointed, I'm seen. I'm never going to be the same again. I don't have to be the same again. I don't have to earn it on my own. He's given it to me out of the goodness of his heart. And I hope you'll remember what that day was like and you'll just go out of this place a changed person because our city needs us with the joy of our salvation in our hearts. Our city needs it to be restored. It needs it to be refreshed. It needs it to be renewed. And if you're in here today and you've, you've not yet closed the distance, you need to know that you don't have to wait anymore. That the work is finished while you were still sinning, he died for you. It's been over for a long, long time. He just, he just wants to, to offer this free gift to you. The, wages, the, the rest of that verse is the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Just, all of these verses have a second part that I left out. It's even better. And so, as we respond this morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us, and then I'm gonna pray for you. So be thinking, right now, if you're in here, and, and you just, you're ready. You, just be ready. I know you're nervous, and it's scary, and you're worried I'm gonna make you go stand outside and sit down with everyone and tell them I'm not gonna do that. We, we just wanna walk you into the best season of your life. I promise you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, God, for your kindness, that you would do the work for us, that the God who created everything, who spoke the universe into existence, would care enough about me to sacrifice your son on my behalf. I thank you for calling me, for anointing me. I thank you for seeing in me what I never saw in myself. I thank you for offering me more joy and more peace 
than I ever knew was possible, for offering greater satisfaction than we ever knew we could experience, that God, it's all in you. And Father, I pray for every person in this room today who's still looking for it in other places, that you would just whisper into their hearts right now, that your Holy Spirit's power would overwhelm them. We pray that you would lose a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this place. That we would have the wisdom, Lord, to know that we can't do this on our own and that we would have revelation to see that you've already done it for us on our behalf. Remind those of us who are already yours and call those of us who aren't yet. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.